2: But maybe they should try the truth. He really existed.
1: Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane.
2: He came from what is now the nation of Turkey, and his real-life generosity 1,700 years ago still inspires generosity today. We call Santa Saint Nick for a reason. Nicholas was born around 280 A.D. in the maritime city of Patera and spent much of his life in the coastal town of Myra. He was a wealthy man, orphaned at a young age, who became a religious leader deeply involved in the life of the church. He went on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land and was eventually ordained a bishop.
3: As far as saints go, he's wildly popular. The St. Nicholas Center lists 390 churches in America alone that are named for him. And there are churches all around the world named after St. Nick, including one where I worshipped in Uganda, the Orthodox Cathedral in Kampala. Because Nicholas was and is so popular, he's attracted a lot of pious myths over the centuries. And I'm not just talking about flying reindeer with red noses. Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus lane. One story about Nicholas probably does have a grain of historical truth, though. There are many different versions of it, but here's the gist. An unlucky widower had three daughters. Without money for dowries, he knew no one would marry the girls, which was a big problem in those days.
2: Options were few, and I know it sounds crazy now, but the man decided to sell his youngest daughter into slavery to pay the dowry for the oldest daughter. Somehow, Nicholas found out and decided to help. He knew the poor man was proud and wouldn't accept a gift, so he tossed a bag of gold through an open window. Over the next two years, he did it again on the same date, and then again. The third time, the poor man was waiting up to catch Nicholas in the act. At this point, his pride was no longer an issue. The man was crying. He thanked Nicholas for taking care of his daughters. Modestly, Nicholas said the money ultimately came not from him, but from God. The man then went out and told everyone who would listen about Nicholas's generosity, even though Nicholas told him not to.
3: Parts of the story are embellished. In one version, Nicholas throws the money through the chimney and it lands in the girls' stockings drying by the fire. That's where we get our modern idea about Santa climbing down the chimney, stuffing stockings on the mantelpiece. Trouble is, they didn't even have chimneys like that in Nicholas's day. Still, embellishments aside, Nicholas has been associated with generosity ever since. Nowadays, Christmas is when we exchange gifts in December, but for many centuries, in much of the world, people gave gifts on Nicholas's religious feast day, which is December the 6th. So it's only fair when we switch to Christmas that we brought the patron saint of generosity along for the sleigh ride. Okay, that's so corny. Ah. We could just drop it. No, I think it's kind of funny.
2: But generosity isn't a one and done kind of thing. It's best to think of generosity as a habit or a lifestyle. And as Notre Dame researchers Christian Smith and Hilary Davidson found, it's paradoxical. Those who give, they say, receive back in return. Smith and Davidson took five standard measures of well-being, happiness, bodily health, purpose in living, avoidance of depression, and interest in personal growth. Then they looked at several different kinds of generosity, including volunteering time and giving money. They found a significant correlation between giving and all five measures of well being. And it's more than correlation. Smith and Davidson found a causal relationship too. They say, as a result of the generous practices themselves, those who live more generous lives also tend to enjoy greater well being in life. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt.
3: And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller.
2: And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work, succeed at life, and lead with confidence. And in this episode, we're going to explore why generosity pays, not just for the person receiving it, but also for the person offering it.
1: Now I'd like to be with you on your midnight ride.
4: Dash your dance... Pr-
3: as the Smith and Davidson work shows, there are many dimensions to generosity. But today, we're talking about three benefits that would be of special interest to leaders. All right, Dad, are you ready to talk about the first one?
2: Yeah, let's do it. The first benefit for generous leaders is that it builds a strong team. Early in my career, I applied for the role of a marketing director for a small publishing company. Only problem was, I didn't have any marketing experience. (laughs) Now, I needed to get paid. I wanted to get paid $30,000, which this was a long, long time ago. Um, My prospective boss said, well, gee, you don't really have any experience. I'm not 100% sure you could do the job. How about if I pay you $27,000? And at the end of 90 days, if you've really performed, then I'll go ahead and give you the raise up to $30,000. And I said, okay, fair enough. So I worked unbelievably hard. I got there early in the morning. I'm talking five, six o'clock in the morning. Stayed late, studied, worked my, you know, what off. And at the end of the 90-day period, he calls me up to his office and he said, look, I have good news and bad news. The good news is you've killed it. Uh, You've exceeded my expectations. You're totally deserving of this raise. But here's the problem. Our parent company has put a company-wide freeze on all their subsidiary companies, So I can't give you the raise. I just, my hands are tied. Well, man, I was devastated because not only did I deserve the raise, I mean, he admitted that I did, but I was devastated because I really needed the money. So I went home, I talked with with Gail and and she said, look, honey, there's nothing you can do. Let's just have a good attitude and keep working hard and just trust that it's all going to work out. So that's exactly what I did. The next day, he calls me back into his office and he says, sit down, I need to talk to you. He said, my wife and I talked about this, and we've decided that I actually made the commitment. The commitment didn't come from the company, it came from me. Hmm. And I want to give you the $3,000. And so he hands me a check written on his personal account for $3,000. Wow. Now, how do you think that kind of generosity impacted me? I mean, that bought... He didn't intend it this way, but that bought my loyalty. I was so committed to him from that point forward. In fact, that was the beginning of what became a 17-year relationship. Mm -hmm. He's still, to this day, one of my very best friends. Well, one of the reasons that this works, and the research shows this, is that generosity fuels workplace performance and workplace uh, loyalty. Mm -hmm. In one study, researchers looked at the amount of social support people give at the office. Okay, get this. We're talking about the willingness to help teammates complete a project, uh, offer encouragement, that sort of thing. But they labeled people who gave the most social support work altruists. So remember that. The least generous they called work isolators, which Mm -hmm. is kind of a... Metaphor, or not a metaphor, but a a euphemism for the stingy one, right? (laughs) So the altruists altruists were more than 20 times as likely as isolators to help a teammate finish a project. So that's (laughs) how they defined it. Sean Aker reported on the study for Harvard Business Review said only 2% of work isolators help others with their work.
3: Wow. That is a staggering result. You know, this kind of generosity affects performance in other ways, too. For instance, 5 out of 10 altruists get along, quote, extremely well with coworkers, but just 2 in 10 of the isolators do.
2: Not surprising, in a sense. It's not
3: surprising. The other thing is that isolators are disengaged at work. Workplace engagement, as we all know, is a big problem. In fact, it's bigger than I even realized. Apparently, only 33% of the U.S. workforce feels engaged at work. 33%. I know. What about
2: the other 67%? Oh, my
3: gosh. There's a huge opportunity there for leaders, that's for sure. But guess who overrepresented in the underperformer category? Yep. That's right. Acor and his fellow researchers found that just 5% of the isolators were engaged at work. Wow. On the other hand, the altruists were about 10 times as likely to be highly engaged.
2: That's pretty amazing. It is amazing. That's a big discrepancy. So two final measures of the difference between the generous and the ungenerous when it comes to performance, promotions, and income. This
3: is where it gets interesting.
2: It is. Get this. Aker said only 7% of selfish isolators have received a promotion in the last year. Hmm. Selfishness does not pay. It does not. Meanwhile, altruists were six times more likely to receive a promotion. Wow. So another researcher, Arthur Brooks, studied the effect of generosity on income based on data from over 30,000 Americans. This is even more compelling. Mm. For every dollar in extra income, Americans gave 14 cents. Mm. So not Not that much. much. But what about the other direction? It turned out for every dollar given, people's pay went up as much as $3.75. Really? Yeah. I want to say that again because it's a profound statistic. For every dollar that people gave. People's pay went up as much as $3.75, and this was a sampling of 30,000 people. So this is not a fluke or an anomaly, but this is statistically real.
3: This is like almost a four-to-one ROI. Yep, I don't know a business person in the world that wouldn't take that every day of the week.
2: No, generosity pays. Mm -hmm. Generous people perform better at work, and they see the returns in higher positions and better pay, and that only happens because they're making a major positive impact on their teams.
3: Love that. You know, generosity is also a a powerful retention strategy.
2: Yeah, just one question. Can you share a bit about how we aim to practice generosity with our own team?
3: Yeah, it's something we're really thoughtful about. A couple things. Uh, number one, we have an annual team retreat, and in the past, we have taken our entire team on a cruise in January every year. And this kind of has a twofold purpose. Number one, we get to share our vision for the year, um, but more importantly, it's a time when we just get to bless our team. We get to provide a vacation that people might not take on their own, and we get to do it with all the people they work with, or they get. To do that, and so it's a real um, morale-building, connection-building experience that's honestly generous. I mean, we're—it's not something we're required to provide. Uh, we have great benefits elsewhere in the company, but it's just something we do that we feel like is fun. And man, it absolutely pays off.
2: Yeah, I'm starting to get really excited about it because it's only a few weeks away.
3: I know we're not going on a cruise this year, uh, but we're equally excited. The other thing that we do is that we have an unlimited PTO policy. This is very rare in today's job world. You know, it's pretty uncommon. And that you would have a great PTO package right out of the gate. You usually have to kind of like earn your way into that. Right. We feel like our people, the kind of people that we hire, are self managing enough that we let them take as much PTO as they need. They obviously have to have approval for that to make sure it works with a larger schedule, but it's been fantastic. Um, and then the final thing that we do is that we have an uncapped bonus plan. So that means that um, our bonuses are based on the performance of the company, but if we succeed our performance targets, then bonuses just go up along with the performance, which we find just puts us on the same side of, of the table as our team members and really motivates people. And instead of resenting when we have new initiatives or you know some big thing that we're working on, it feels like we're all working on it together because we've been generous and shared The profits with our team.
2: Well, as you can imagine, uh, with that kind of generosity, we have very little employee uh, turnover. So it's hard to get into our company, but uh, people don't leave. (laughs) That's right. They they get here and they want to stay.
3: Absolutely. Um, You know, part of that though is, and I think this is something that employers and leaders have to consider, is it is costly in the sense that you're making an investment when you decide to do those kind of things uh, for the sake of retention. And so, as a business owner, when you think about that, do you feel like the cost is justified?
2: Yeah, totally. Because think of it this way it's cheaper to appreciate the existing talent that you have and keep them on board than to try to find new people. So, it's not just because I'm altruistic as a business owner. But I think it makes good business sense too. Mm-hmm. It's it's a worthwhile investment.
3: I agree. Another important point here is that generosity as a leader is an important model uh, to those that you're leading on how to approach your customers and serve them. This is actually one of my favorite benefits. Me too. If you want your team to be generous with your customers, you have to show them how it's done. And conversely, if you're stingy with your team, you better believe they're going to be stingy with your customers. I mean, How many times have you seen that over and over and over again? So this is one of those things you have to be very careful and very intentional about what you're doing.
2: You do, because it really is going to show your team or demonstrate to your team how to treat your customers. So speaking of that, let's talk about why it's important to practice generosity with our customers. So the second benefit for generous leaders is that it really creates a loyal customer base. Mm -hmm. Generosity wows your tribe. We've seen this over and over again. And wow is all about exceeding expectations. You know, if you just uh, aim for customer satisfaction, that's not a high enough standard in today's world. Right. Satisfied customers are going to still be on the lookout for somebody that's going to wow them. So you've got to wow them and you've got to exceed their expectations to do so. That's what makes an impression.
3: I'm, I think that's totally right. It reminds me of a date night that Joel and I went on recently. We don't really go out to movies very often. We have young kids, and they don't always do very well with a babysitter, but that's changing. And so we decided to try it. We we're going to go to see a movie. We haven't been to our local theater in a while. And the last time we were there, you know, honestly, it was kind of dingy. I mean, the junior mints are great, but <laughs> other than that- Kind of dirty. It's, it's kind of gross and all, yeah. all those things. Well, so we went to our new movie theater, or our, our old movie theater, but it had been renovated. And so we went into the uh, the grown-up side of the movie. Theater. Apparently, there's now like two sides. And the grown-up side had a whole restaurant, had a bar. What? It had – and where you had servers who would come to you and, you know, take your order and that kind of thing. Had recliners that were uh, electric recliners. I mean, it was incredible. I got my junior mints delivered to me uh, in my seat, which is pretty exciting. (laughs) I didn't have to wait in the long concession line. But I wasn't expecting that at all. I was like reconciled to dingy movie theater, and it turned out to be a totally wow experience. And consequently, we just went to another movie the other night, and we're going to keep going back because it was it, great.
2: Is this the Thoroughbred Theater? It is, theater? yeah. Man, that tells you how long it's been since I've been to a movie because right. we typically watch, watch them at home, but mm-hmm. wow, I got to try that out. Junior Mints delivered to your chair. Wow. What will it be next? Yeah, I know. Well, this is also why Apple has one of the most loyal tribes anywhere because they're extraordinarily generous. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't think about this until right now, but tell the story of, of you... Um, losing your iPhone in the lake when you were fishing.
3: Yeah, so last year I was fishing with my kids uh, at the lake, and one of my sons accidentally knocked the phone out of my hand, my brand new... You'd had it like phone. two days. Uh, I had to just barely, a few minutes, and I was taking a picture of, a, of another kid holding a fish, and one of the boys came around and knocked it out of my hands, and I watched it, in our boat <laughs> slip just sink <laughs> down, 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 all 20 feet or whatever it was, You know, with the light on, going through the water, and I was out of reach, there was nothing I could do. And so I thought... Uh, to myself, I wonder if it could be retrieved. And you said, I bet you could hire a diver to jump down and get it. So anyway, long story short, we've hired a diver, pulled the phone out. What would
2: you pay that guy, by the like way? Like
3: 50 bucks to jump down Unbelievable. the boat. Slip. I mean, I knew right where it was, so that helped. Anyway, took it to the Apple store and they replaced it. Wow. Like a seven or $800 yeah. phone was completely waterlogged. I thought for sure they would say no and think I was just making it up. But. Well, I
2: mean, it's one thing to replace something because it broke because it's their fault.
3: Right. Right? I mean, but you my did, fault.
2: But you did something stupid. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, you didn't do it intentionally, but, but it was clearly not Apple's right. fault. It was your fault. But how does that make you feel toward Apple?
3: I'll buy everything from them.
2: Totally. And I've had that experience over and over again. Mm-hmm. And we're a little bit of Apple fanatics. We are. At any rate.
3: So one of the people who does this best, this kind of wowing of people, is John Rulin. He's the author of the book Giftology, one of our favorite books from last year. Listen to what yeah. Listen to what he has to say about the power of generosity to improve your customer relationships.
4: Everybody in business says that relationships are their most valuable asset. Unfortunately, what people say as a leader or uh, as a human being what they do are very different things. There's, they're kind of incongruent. And so I think a lot of times people view generosity that once a year thing. They gotta check their box. They gotta show gratitude to their clients, their employees, their family and then they can shut it out of their mind for another 364 days. And what we feel is that there is real ROI to taking care of your most important relationships, not one day a year, but year round. And, you know, the, there's all kinds of wisdom literature, Proverbs, well, you know, whether you have a faith background or not, there's all kinds of, well, everything that we're talking about in giftology really is shining light on things that are thousands of years old. And one of the biggest things is the idea that in Proverbs 18, 16, it talks about a gift can usher you into the presence of the king. So um, even back that far, there's talk of how important it is to show generosity to people and that there's a real result to it. There's a real metric. There's real numbers that this isn't a warm, fuzzy thing. This isn't a check the box thing. This, like, this is a strategic business decision. This is a strategic relationship decision. And the more you can make it a gift. Now, people confuse a, a gift or generosity with a promotional item or marketing. A gift, it by its very nature, is, is a couple of different things. One, it's not about you. So no logos, it's not about your colors, it's not about your preferences, no shopping with your own rose-colored glasses. It's all about the recipient, so about their name, their preferences, their legacy, their heritage. The more you can pour into making it a gift about them. Think about going to a wedding, you'd never engrave something with compliments of John Rulon or compliments of giftology, be the cheesiest thing on the planet. Well, when you're showing generosity, the more you can put the spotlight on them, what ends up happening, they tend to want to reciprocate and make the reciprocity all about you over the, the years and decades to come. So at a core level, generosity, think about it year round, not once a year don't make it about you make it about them personalize it to them and make it about their inner circle and and do it because you want to not be out of obligation once a year because you have to when you start to do that on a repeated and regular basis over time it's amazing the fruit both profitability wise in your business but also just the depth of your relationships it's amazing the fruit that you start to see when you consistently do this year after year
3: The other thing is that generosity can really turn around a bad customer experience. Jay Baer's book Hug Your Haters is an incredible resource on how to do this. And according to Jay, 80% of companies think they're delivering outstanding customer service, but only 8% of their customers agree.
2: Ooh. It's a little bit of a discrepancy there.
3: <laughs> yeah. Like delusional. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, you know, I've had several experiences with Comcast, which is the company mm-hmm. that everybody, you know, loves to hate.
3: It's almost like a swear word.
2: I know. <laughs> but I've actually had pretty amazing service from them. Like earlier this week, there was this local outage. I know you guys experienced mm-hmm. it uh, at your office, and I experienced it at my office. And so I was like down for two days. Mm-hmm. And I was reaching out to Comcast via Twitter, and they were responding back to me. I told them I had a webinar on Wednesday that I had to to be able to broadcast. And so they said to me, um, they they followed up with Twitter. They said, Hey, I'm gonna make a call to the trucks out there and see if I can get somebody to try to expedite this and get the problem solved wow. so you can be back online. And then the guy kept pinging me like every two hours and give me a status report. That's amazing. And it really turned turned around my attitude because I was not a happy camper. Right. But just that little bit of customer service kind of exceeding my expectations really did wow me. Mm-hmm. And it did kind of create a sense of loyalty.
3: Which is amazing to say when you're talking about Comcast because most people would disagree with that, but I think they have a huge opportunity there. And that's the thing: there is this chance to create mutual loy- loyalty through intentional generosity. No one wants to be in some kind of a one-sided relationship; it's no fun, and you don't want to be the only one invested. And that's what it feels like in a negative customer experience. You really? know, like it's kind of all on you, and the other the other side doesn't care. When they sense that you're invested in them and in their success, loyalty is just a natural byproduct.
2: Yeah, it's reciprocal. Absolutely.
0: a ticket to the live event, which is normally $197. That's a killer so deal. So it's a killer deal. It's a no-brainer in my opinion. Um, but definitely join us. It's going to be so much fun. January 5th, it's totally virtual. So no matter where you are in the world or um, you know whether you can get on a plane or not, don't worry about it. You don't have to. You can do this from the comfort of your own home and we'll be right there. Yeah.
1: And just imagine having your goals already set for the entire year and a plan to execute them. Yeah. That's worth all the money that you can. And the best part, it's a free event for you yeah. if you buy the Full Focus Goal Setting Course.
0: Yes. All right. Well, we would love to see you there. So make sure to go to store.com and take advantage of this deal. We'd love to see you at your best driver live.
2: The third benefit for generous leaders is a little more personal. And I'm talking about solid relationships. For one, generosity improves your marriage. Generosity isn't just about performance and not just about making more money. It's also about time, attention, and energy.
3: Yeah, that's especially true in marriage. I mean, who does what? Division of household chores? parenting, all the endless driving. Oh, my goodness. I am in <laughs> such that stage right now. It's just like carpool 24-7.
2: You didn't know you are going to be a taxi driver when you signed up to be a parent. I didn't know. I mean, no. I should have
3: probably had some training. So often in marriage, we're thinking about our own needs and what we want and what's yes. fair. And that's natural. That's really human. But good marriages come from two people thinking about how they can serve one another. Totally. And really approaching marriage from a place of generosity. And that gets really practical. I mean, it comes down to the division of household chores. So instead of thinking primarily about Equity and fairness. Like in a great marriage where both people are being generous, you're just looking for opportunities to help one another. Yep. Uh, it's true of parenting too. Like who's going to put the kids to bed? Who's going to get them ready for uh, school or church? Who's going to take them to practice? All those kinds of things. The endless driving. Hello, the endless driving. Oh. I'm so in that season right now. And one of the things that uh, I think is important to think about is how can you be generous with your spouse? You know, in my case, how can I be generous with Joel, offer to drive, for example, even if it's It's not, quote, my turn to drive. Um, And he does the same thing for me. And that really fosters a solid relationship between us of trust and generosity and kindness because we're always looking out for the the benefit of the other person. And I think that's what we're really talking about here.
2: Well, it's not that different, really, from what we were talking about with customers or from the people that are our teammates. When we invest and go first and be generous, Mm -hmm. that gets reciprocated Mm -hmm. in a generosity back to us. So practicing more generosity in marriage has big rewards, no surprise there. But researchers from the University of Virginia set out to determine the effects of generosity on marriage. And what they found was that the recipient of generosity expressed high levels of marital satisfaction. So there's the proof. But so did the giver. According to the researchers, participants' reports of behaving in a generous fashion toward your spouse, and I'm reading here, were linked to their own reports of marital quality. The extension of generosity toward the spouse was positively related to their own reports of marital satisfaction. Wow. So in other words, whether you're on the receiving side or on the giving side, you're going to have greater level of satisfaction if you're generous.
3: That's really compelling. You know, it's funny, when you were talking, I had this idea, what if we treated our spouse like our best customer?
2: Yeah, that could be enormously satisfying, just like it is with our customers. We yeah. delight in giving our customers great experiences. We want them to be satisfied, and more than satisfied, wowed. And I want, I want that in my marriage too. You Me know, too. I still, even after 39 years of marriage, I want to wow Gale. So back to that University of Virginia research study, listen to one of those researchers, Dr. Bradford Wilcox, told us about how generosity can increase the quality of your
5: marriage. Uh, So the National Marriage Project uh, recently did a study on the top predictors of marital quality for married parents in America. What we found is that when it came to both uh, marital happiness and when it came to um, thoughts of divorce, uh, that generosity is one of the best predictors of uh, marital satisfaction and also one of the best predictors of not thinking about divorce uh, in your marriage. And, and here, generosity is understood as the virtue of giving good things to, uh, to your spouse uh, freely and abundantly. Um, and more concretely, the way that we actually measure generosity in the study was to look at small acts of service, things like, say, making coffee for your spouse in the morning, uh, as well as the expression of affection, uh, the expression of respect, and then also willingness to forgive um, your spouse for their mistakes or their failings. So these things all together were how we kind of measure generosity in marriage. And what we found is not surprisingly that couples, or I should say spouses, where um, they were the recipients of this kind of generous behavior um, were markedly happier in their marriages. What was, I think, even more striking about this, this research was that it was uh, both wives and husbands reported that they themselves embraced a spirit of generosity in their marriage, Um, were especially likely to be uh, happy in their marriage. So again, what we're finding here is that, yes, being the recipient of generosity from your wife or your husband is uh, is a good thing, but kind of adopting a a more generous orientation to your spouse is an even better predictor um, of you being happy in your marriage. And then we also find we're looking at sexual satisfaction um, in marriage, which of course is also one of the top predictors of marital quality um, in our research and the research of others, is that couples um, who had a spouse um, who was more generous reported more sexual satisfaction. And again, husbands and wives who reported that they themselves were, uh, were generous, were also much more likely to enjoy um, a high quality sex life. So the point here is that generosity um, fosters uh, what we call kind of global marital satisfaction, global we think marital stability, um, but it also kind of spills over into you know a couple's a sexual relationship in ways that are, are are pretty profound and important. So another way to kind of talk about this is sort of what happens outside of the bedroom seems to matter a great deal in predicting how happy husbands and wives are with what happens in the bedroom as well. and what, again, one of those things for you know for a good sex life is, Is to you know, and again, it's not really surprising if you think about it, but to be you know generous towards them, you know, throughout the day and throughout the sort of ebb and flow of of a marriage.
3: Another thing is that generosity models a great habit for our kids. Uh, We're all looking for ways to combat materialism in our kids. I mean, this is something that as a parent you have to be really proactive about because the world of consumerism, consumerism is after our kids
2: like never before like
3: never before
2: yeah we live in a consumeristic society materialistic society and even the holidays mm. even what were traditionally religious holidays like christmas have been so overtaken by commercialism yes. and you know certainly we benefit from that as a business lots of businesses benefit from it but one of the best christmases that we ever had and surely you remember this was when we decided on christmas day To go down and volunteer at a homeless shelter. And I think all of us kind of felt like, really? I mean, do we have to do this? Kind of felt like a duty. Mm -hmm. But once we got there, oh my gosh, it was unbelievable. That still, to this day, is one of my most meaningful Christmases, one that stands out. I think it's true for your kids. It's true for our other kids' kids. But it was amazing.
3: It was. And I think part of that is because when you uh, are proactive about generosity with kids, it fosters gratitude. And we talked about this recently in another episode, but it's critically important to have gratitude as a habit and as a practice in your life. And it's almost like generosity is the spiritual discipline that puts you in a position where you can experience gratitude, because all of a sudden you realize, first of all, what you have does not belong to you. Yeah. And that's kind of an act of faith to share it with others. And second of all, you realize how much you have and mm-hmm. how much you've been blessed with, uh, which is really important.
2: Yeah, the contrast really brings that into sharp relief.
3: mm mm-hmm. Uh, finally, it really, generosity really makes us more enjoyable to be around. Nobody likes hanging out with a screen. Nobody. (laughs) And generosity makes us relaxed and just fun to be around. I mean, the truth is the most fun people are very often the most generous. They're thinking of others. Their attention is on other people, really. Not on themselves, not on the scarcity of what they have, but on abundance. And those kind of people are usually full of joy, laughter, life, excitement, um, And they're just present in the moment.
2: Well, I mean, you can think of one of our friends, uh, Bob Goff, who's Mm -hmm. one of the most generous, joyful people that we know. And he's extravagant in his generosity. I mean, we just got a package from him this week that was nothing other. Did you see this, by the way?
3: No, I haven't seen it. Okay,
2: so we got this box that had these balloons and confetti, (laughs) and just a note from Bob, it had a little cookie in it too, but it had a note from Bob, and he just said, thank you for having such an extraordinary marriage. We love the way that you love each other, and we just want to celebrate you. I mean, that kind of generosity was fantastic. I mean, it makes me want to be around Bob. Right. right?
3: Literally a party in a box.
2: Yep. So this makes sense because it turns out that being stingy actually increases stress, Mm. and I can prove it. Okay, so there was this study from the Queensland University of Technology, where the researchers were studying the physiological effects of participants that were forced to lowball a negotiation. And what those people experienced was significantly heightened stress as compared to those who made generous offers. I mean, think about it. It stresses me out. Right. You know, if I have to go in and try to, Ugh. you know, fight with the vendor and try to, you know, nickel and dime them, it's stressful. I hate it. I'd much rather be generous and I certainly want to be a good steward. And I understand, you know, that 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 drive to get something for less. And I want our people to try to do that, but not at the expense of somebody else mm-hmm. losing. Right. So to me, it's got to be win-win. Yes. So that's kind of my model or, or what guides me in terms of generosity. So we obviously see that in 100 different kinds of settings.
3: Mm -hmm. I like that. So what are some practices that you use to cultivate the habit of generosity on like an everyday basis?
2: Well, so it doesn't sound like I'm bragging on myself. Let me just tell you some story about some friends of mine that are very generous and have been an inspiration to me. So I have a good friend who is a very generous tipper. I'm talking about 50 to 100% in what? terms of what he tips. I know it sounds crazy. Awesome. And you know he's in a position where he can do it. Not everybody can do it. I get that. But one of the things he said to me is he said, the easiest, fastest way to get pe- uh, money to the people that need it the most, don't send it to Washington and let them skim off a big administrative charge. Mm-hmm. Instead, just give all of it to the people that need it the most. And one of the best ways to do that is people that are working Uh, in jobs, waiting tables or serving you in other ways. Usually those are jobs that don't pay well. Those Mm -hmm. people depend on tips. And the more generous we can be, uh, the better off not only will they be, but it's also good for our soul. Mm -hmm. I've got another friend in the neighborhood who uses this... um, He's kind of a handyman, Mm -hmm. but the guy's... Almost homeless. I mean, he kind of hmm. sleeps out of his car. He only charges $10 an hour. He does really great work. And our friends said, this is ridiculous. We've got to get Jim a home. We've got to pay him a living wage. And so they just decided they were going to pay him $20 an hour. And then the other neighbors decided they were going to do the same thing. Jim's not living out of his car anymore. And that was that kind of, a kind of generosity that uh, really came out of a, a genuine concern for him, but blessed him and blessed them.
3: So today, we've covered the three benefits of generosity. Number one, a strong team. Number two, loyal customers. And number three, solid relationships. We all know intuitively that generosity is right. But I hope that you've discovered in this episode that generosity also provides some very tangible results. Any final thoughts, Dad?
2: Yeah, I was just thinking back to the very beginning when you we were talking about St. Nicholas mm-hmm. and what an inspiration his life of generosity has been to multiple generations through history, and it's still an inspiration to us in this current generation. Mm-hmm. But when we think about the impact that generosity can have on other people, not just for what we get out of it as the ones who are doing the giving, but for what it means for other people, I think it's a worthy life goal, a worthy aspiration to try to become the most generous people that we possibly can. Hmm. Maybe the most generous people that we know, wow. but to be a model to our children, to our companies, to our communities of generosity. Not only will it be a blessing to them, but I think it'll be a blessing to us as well.
5: I
3: think you're right. As we close, I want to thank our sponsor, Leaderbox. It provides automated personal development in a box. Check it out at leaderbox.com. If you've enjoyed today's episode, you can get the show notes and a full transcript at lead2.win, that's lead2.win.
2: Thanks again for joining us on Lead to Win. If you like the show, please tell your friends and colleagues about it. And also please leave a review of the show wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: This program is copyrighted by Michael Hyatt & Company, all rights reserved. Our producer is Nick Jaworski.
2: Our writers are Joe Miller, Mandy Ravicio, and Jeremy Lott.
3: Our recording engineer is Mike Boyer.
2: Our production assistants are Mike Burns and Alicia Curry.
3: Our intern is Winston.
2: We invite you to join us for our next episode, where we'll be discussing those dreaded New Year's resolutions. Until then, lead to win. ninety days I would get a promotion and I would get a raise. Mm-hmm. I that just kinda had to prove lot, myself.
3: Right? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> <Face bomb>. <laughs> 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 I thought you were done. All right. Mm. I'm not gonna say anything. You just mm.
0: All right, Ken, do you know what's happening right now?
1: No, I have no idea. <laughs>
0: well, first of all, it's your favorite time of year, finally. It's yes. We can act. Okay. Like, I give approval for us to actually listen to Christmas music now that Thanksgiving's over.
1: Jingle bells, jingle. Yes.
0: Uh, it's our holiday sale here at Full Focus. Oh, and even we have better. some really awesome deals going on, especially if for some reason you missed out on our Black Friday deals. This is a great time to get your planners and everything for the new year. And so we have got. Some awesome deals. So we've got ten percent off site wide. Um, We've got where you can get a free um, your best year ever vinyl sticker pack for any new planner subscription that you sign up for. So these are great to put on things like your Stanley mug.
1: Wow, you already put them on your Stanley mug. And if you got them, them
0: if you got them on Black Friday. These are different. These are these are going to be new for the new year, uh, but they're great for that. You can also put them on your planner. You can put them on your computer wherever you want them.